Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. And again, we probably got one more sermon on this. And you be praying. I'm, I'm may, we may look at a, at a very short series called On Little Foxes. Song of Solomon said, is the little foxes that spoils the vine. And um, I was pondering this. Of course, I don't, don't have anything to do with what the Lord wants done. But uh, uh, it's uh, just, just, you pray about it and see what the Lord has us to do. First John chapter 5, 1 verse. Let's all stand together and let's read it together. Verse 13. Ready? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. One verse, let's read it again, alright? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know that you know? Do you know that you know? I'm going to ask Jimmy Ramsey if he would to lead us to the throne of grace. Amen. You be seated. As we have walked through for several weeks now on 1 John, we really don't have to wonder why he wrote the letter. If you got your Bible there, if it's open at 1 John, let's turn back to 1 John chapter 1 and just follow along with me, alright? 1 John chapter, verse number, chapter 1, verse 4. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse number 12 of that chapter. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for you forgiven you for his name's sake. Verse 21 of that same chapter. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 26. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. And then we come to the last chapter, and one more time he says, These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you, may, that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The grand purpose, the key to First John is that we might know that we know. That's the key. Gospel of John tells us how to be saved, but the epistle of 1 John tells us that we might know that we're saved. It is the privilege of every born-again believer 
to be able to sing the song of Fanny Crosby, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Amen. Uh, there's actually a little town in Texas. It's called Uncertain. It's named Uncertain. It's the name of the town. Wouldn't you hate to live in a town where you live uncertain? Wouldn't you hate to live in a town like that? And yet what's even sad is that many times there are those that may be saved, may not be, but the truth is they don't. They live in uncertainty. They do not know. A little fellow was standing on the side of the road and a man stopped and said, Son, do you know how to get to town? The little boy said, I don't know. Man said, well, do you know how to get to Route 20? He said, I don't know. He said, well, do you know uh, the name of this road? He said, I don't know. Well, the frustrated man said, little boy, you, you, son, you just don't know anything. He said, well, I know I'm not lost. <laughs> Amen. Praise God today. I'm, I'm glad I know I'm not lost. I may not know anything else, but praise God and all, I'm not lost. And the assurance of salvation is, is essential if you're going to live a strong Christian life. Yet many of God's children, I mean literally live, live in a place of doubt. And um, I don't know if there's not any of us that have been saved any length of time that we all, or I did, went through a period of time after salvation that... Uh, there was times that I doubted it. I wondered, well, am, am I saved, you know? I'd come to an altar and pray, now, Lord, if I'm not saved, save me, you know? And go through those periods of doubt. But for some, it is a, it is a major issue. It's a major thing. And, and they struggle week after week and day after day uh, uh, of, of this issue of doubt. I will tell you this. I believe it is one of Satan's greatest tools. And I'm not going to try to talk you into salvation. I certainly don't want to talk you out of it. But I do want to help you tonight to understand some things about doubt. First of all, there's some consequences of doubt. Alright? When we're uncertain of our salvation, it affects the way we do spiritually. Nothing, absolutely nothing would defeat you spiritually as much as being unsure that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and that you're sure of heaven and that you're sure about your salvation. And now does it bring some consequences. Number one, it will rob you of joyfulness. And these things... Write we unto you that your joy may be full. Nothing, absolutely nothing, will rob your joy quicker than doubt about your salvation. Um, and and it's, a, it's a misery. As a matter of fact, how can you be joyful about something that you're uncertain of? I was, uh, I wouldn't be joyful if I wasn't certain this platform could hold me. I, I would be very, I would be very cautious. I would be very tentative. The last thing I would be would be joyful. And I find so many times that that Christians don't have this. They're, they're not joyful 
because of the fact they doubt their salvation. Now, and be very honest with you, those that are lost without Christ, they're not going to have any joy of salvation in their life. But if you're saved, it is your, it is your birthright, it is your God-given birthright to have a joy this world knows nothing about. Praise God. I, I was, uh, I, I was uh, listening to a, a preacher the other day and, and I'm telling you, God just got real good and real in the car and, and uh, uh, you know, it, it was just, it was just wonderful. And didn't cost me nothing. I didn't have a hangover when I woke up and then when I, when it was over. Joyfulness. Not only that. But another consequence of doubt is this, is usefulness. D.L. Moody said, I have never known a Christian who was any good in the work of Christ who did not have the assurance of salvation. Doubt hinders any person from serving God. If you're not sure about what you believe you're probably not going to convince me. If you're not sure of your product, you're probably not going to sell it to me. And if you're not sure about your salvation, odds are you're not going to convince me how wonderful it is. And it will hinder your usefulness. It hinders you able to tell someone else heaven is something you hear about but you don't believe Have eternal life is something you hear about but you're not convinced of it this thing of doubt will, will rob you of our usefulness third thing that consequences of doubt and well, this is the sureness certainty in our life it leaves us uncertain as to whether or not heaven uh, is their eternal destination. Second uh, Timothy 1.12 said, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Here's what Paul's telling Timothy. Paul's telling young Timothy. He said, I want you to know I got no doubts in my mind. Everything's all right in the Father's house. That's what he's saying. Here, here tonight, and I have no idea where you're at, but I do know this. One of the consequences of doubt is it robs you of your certainty and sureness. And you say, but preacher, why, why is that a big deal? Well, here's why that's a big deal. Praise God, we're all just one breath away from there. Um, in, in a few days, I'll be another year older. And they buried Jimmy Ramsey's good friend just yesterday that's younger than I am. He, I think his son was telling me he went to the doctor in, in September. And, uh, and it was just just sick, you know, and just thought he had a cold or something. And, and the doctor said, man, you, you got cancer. He said, hey, that's impossible. And, and uh, of course, then he, he's, he slipped out of here. And that was like just September. So the point I'm saying is, praise God, it, it's a few things you need to know that you know. 
need to know that you know. Because none of us are guaranteed another moment. There's, I was reading the other day, and boy, how true this is. A few years ago, something, we, we shifted in something. Um, years ago, preachers used to preach on, you know, hellfire brimstone preaching, you know, just give the devil out of you. And, uh, and, and talk about the, you're going to get saved because you, see, you miss hell. Two years ago, that shifted. And the preachers started saying, well, listen, we need to preach and tell them they need Jesus. So, it gives great joy and, and, and the fruit of the Spirit is this, this, and this, and, and, and all that's true and it is good. But I heard this illustration and I thought, man, I, I'm going to share this. Two men get on an airplane. One is given a parachute and they said, now listen, why this parachute and it'll make the ride better. Another man is given a parachute and he's told, in about 10 minutes, you're going to have to jump out of the plane. So one gets on the parachute, and, and the parachute's uncomfortable, it's big, it's bulky, it's hot. And he just can't understand why in the world he needs that parachute. I mean, people are pointing, hey, why the parachute? Ain't that stupid? You, and, and he said, but, but they told me to wait because it make the journey better. This other dude's wearing a parachute. He's not even thinking about how comfortable, how hot, or anything. What he's thinking about is, when I got to jump out of this plane, praise God, I'm glad I have it. Because he's... And, and, and so we need to get back to this thing. And I, I'm almost convinced of myself. We need to get back to this thing. You need to be safe so you miss hell. And the boot to that is you need to enjoy the trip while you're going. But the motive is you're to miss hell. And we gotta get back to, to the reality that if they're not saved, they're gonna die and go to hell. And we gotta quit this trying to sweet talk them into heaven. When they die, it ain't gonna make any difference what you or I think about them. I said this a few weeks ago. We don't do it. I'm not so sure we shouldn't. We don't do it. But a lot of times, people are preached into heaven when they die. I've, I had one, one, one lady, and I'll never forget it, years ago. And I'm, I'm not sure, I don't think her husband was saved. I preached on Sunday morning. He, he cried to the top of his pants were wet. And he died on Monday from a heart attack. And, uh, and she kept saying, Now, preacher, he's in heaven, isn't he? Preacher, he's in heaven, isn't he? And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't answer that lady. And I never did answer that lady. And I didn't preach him into heaven. And he said, why? Because I wasn't sure he's there. But I don't think he was. Now I wasn't ugly and got up and said, well, I think he's in hell. I didn't say that. I've been unkind. But I'm simply saying the reality is of heaven and reality of hell is real. In Luke 16, the rich man died and lifted up his eyes, been in hell and in torment. And no matter what the family said, it, he was there. And nothing could change that. 
Certain sureness of salvation. Praise God, but doubt will rob you of that. So then we see not only the consequences of doubt, but what's the causes of doubt? Why do people doubt their salvation? What, what would the devil use to cause one to be uncertain? With well, the obvious answer is the devil. Praise God, he cannot do anything in this world to take my name out of the land anything in this world. So, he does the next best thing. He does everything he can to get you and I to doubt what we have so we're ineffective. We, he don't want us telling our children. He don't want us talking to our sons and our daughters and weeping over. He don't want us telling somebody, hey, do you know Jesus? And so he, he brings some things into our life that gets us to doubt. Let me give you a few of them. Number one, emotional reasons. Here's what you mean. I'm talking about our feelings. Um, I don't know if you knew this. I mean, this is, this is really going to be deep. Are you ready? Our feelings change every day. I am amazed. I'm amazed. I'll never get this fella. And, uh, and he was sincere as he could be. He said, I bet you wake up every morning praising God. <laughs> I said, I said, what? I said, no. Some mornings I wake up and say, Lord, am I alive? No. I want you to know the most insecure, the most undependable thing you have is your feelings. I could test it. How many of you have been married over two years? Okay. If you went by feelings, how many of you would still be married? <laughs> Praise God, that got you. I mean, truth of the matter is, I don't always feel saved. Feelings may be one day and another day I might feel anything but saved. There'll be days that you'll be in a meeting and you'll, you'll get, and God shows up and blesses your heart and hallelujah, you say, oh, glory to God, I'm, I'm glad I'm saved. And the next day, somebody pull out in front of you and make you upset and you don't feel very saved. You didn't even act saved either. Truth is, our feelings come and go. And so a lot of people, they, they and, and, and the, the morning you wake up and, and you didn't feel that way, old devil whispers in your ears, you're not saved. Well, if you saved, you'd feel this way. and You'd feel that way. How many of you remember the day you got married? 
And the preacher said, Do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Yada, yada, yada. And you said, I do. And you said, Well, how do you feel? I feel great. And then, a few days, because I'm going to tell you a little secret. I, I always, and I do this, and I love doing it. This brings me great joy. I sit down with a young couple. And I say, now, do y'all believe you know each other? Yes, sir, preacher. Yes, yes sir. We do. And I just say, okay. <laughs> I love that answer. You know why? Because you don't know anybody till you wake up day in, day out, and you live with someone every day. Amen? Some of you folks, wife, it'd be okay if he says, oh, amen, it'd be all right. She said, it'd be okay, go ahead. So a lot of times, now after 39 years, I got a great marriage. This June will we'll celebrate 40 years. It, it's been great. But there's some days it ain't been great. Some days it's not been great at all. But feelings didn't change it. So emotional reasons. Number two, mental reasons. What I mean by that is this. I don't remember that day I got saved. The older I get, the harder I I remember things. If I went to the doctor and said, I I I, I, I can relate to this. Doc, I have a serious memory problem. Can't remember anything. The doctor said, how long have you been having this problem? The man said, what problem? A lot of people, now don't you listen to me, I'll help you tonight. A lot of people can't remember the date that God saved them. They remember the experience, but they didn't remember the date. I've heard preachers actually say this. Praise God, hallelujah, if you can't remember the, the date and the time, you, you're just not saved. I'm just going to be honest with you. There ain't a thing in the Bible about that. Now, if you do, praise God that you do. Hallelujah that you do. But the truth of the matter is, a whole lot of people don't remember the date or the day. And it's mental thing. And you hear that. Someone says, someone says, now, I can prove this. How many of you remember the day you were physically born? You remember that day. Oh, you know the date now, but you didn't know when you was born. Someone told you later. I guarantee February the 12th, Zeke did not remember being born. He didn't remember the day. And oh, when we get birthday, many times. Now praise God, y'all, to remember the experience. Y'all remember when Jesus comes in your heart and changes. Y'all remember what Jesus has done for you. But can I just say this? There's nothing in the Bible that says you've got to remember the date. It's good if you do. I encourage people when they're saved to, to, put a, to put the date in their Bible so they can memorize that and know that. Number three, circumstantial reasons. What I mean by that is this, that sometimes the circumstances surrounding and experience. Boy, I, I struggle with this. This is one man's testimony. It was 
August 15, 1921, in the south end of the cornfield. I was playing with old Alex, and, and about 10 minutes after one, I got down on my knees, and three minutes and 42 seconds later, I saved heaven up and up, I stomped down two acres of good corn before I came to myself. That was actual testimony of a man that got saved. Can I say this? That robbed me for a long time. I got saved at Alcos Grove Baptist Church. I wasn't but 11 years old. I hate to tell you, I hadn't murdered, I hadn't gotten drunk, I, hadn't, I wasn't smoking dope. I wasn't running around on a wife because I didn't have one. I wasn't doing nothing, no wicked, vile sin as far as you would, that you wouldn't know about. But the truth of the matter was, Jesus came by and saved me that day. And here was the thing. My testimony compared to a lot of others was dull as dirt. Praise God, I was drunk for 10 years and God blessed you. Woo, hallelujah. Everybody just shot me on. And I was saying the thing, mine, well, you know, mine just went that way. Matter of fact, I just went to altar. God convicted him of my heart. I just went to altar. God would just save me. He just did. And that was, that was it. Hallelujah. Here's what you've got to understand. A lot of times, the circumstances surrounding someone's salvation, sometimes it's dramatic, and sometimes it's not. Well, um, I believe it was... Mm. Uh, here's a preacher down in South Carolina. Uh, I might say, I told you, memories are going. Pastor down Greenville for years, years and years and years and years. Huh? No, no. Uh, run to school down there. Harold Sotler. Well, Harold Sotler was a preaching, and, and boy, I'm telling you, he was a preaching. And in the back of the old fellow, he was, everybody knew him, he was a town drunk, he was wicked, and I mean, everybody knew he was, and had that reputation. Wow, Sotler, he got, he got to preaching, I mean, hell hot. And boy, after a while, everybody's a praying, and everybody's a doing everything. About that time, our old man came, and boy, I'm just telling you, the roof come off of that building. And old Hal Sotler told this story, he said there was a little girl, slipped up behind the pulpit, and said, tugged on his coat, said, preacher, I, I, I need to get saved. And said she bowed right behind the pulpit and asked Jesus to come in her heart. And he said he stood up and that day God allowed him to understand. Praise God for saving that man. But what we ought to be a shouting over is God saving this little girl so her life don't have to go down that road. I'm going to tell you a little secret here. What we need to do is say, get a hold of the, God needs to get a hold of these youngins while they're young. You know why we're spending money running the bus routes? You know why we're doing all that we're doing? We're trying to rescue that heart before it is, before it is scarred and scarred and scarred by sin. How I many of you know what I'm talking about? Praise God. That's the reason why this Sunday school teacher that they need little classes in these nursery and these beginner classes and, and in the little classes. Don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever walk in half-hearted and half-right with God because right there is when we've got to catch them and get them to Jesus right then. So their life just maybe won't be scarred. Let's just be honest with us. We all got some scars, don't we? We can be honest tonight. There's nobody here but us. 
in my body, I carry some scars of sin. Now, you you, can paint it any way you want to. But I tell you the scars that's harder. My physical body. But I tell you some scars that's worse than that. Those scars, emotional scars, hearts that's been broken and the hearts that you've broken and you can't undo them. You can't undo them. Some of wicked, hellish life and broken the heart of a mom and daddy and that mom and daddy's gone and you can't undo it. You can't fix it. And that emotional scars is there and it's real. It's just as real as anything else. So circumstantial reasons. Number four, moral reasons. Now, I, I want to be very careful here. Devil's a master said, if you were saved, you wouldn't have done that. If you were saved, you wouldn't be living like that. And I believe it's true to a certain extent. I believe if Jesus has changed our life, we ought to live a clean life. And we ought to do right. I'm going to help you here. David committed adultery, premeditated murder, and yet when he gets to Psalms 51, and I, I encourage you to go home and read it, he's not praying for salvation. He's praying for restoration. Creating me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit with Wash me with kiss up, Lord. David's a saved man. Yet he done some of the most wicked and vile things. Now let me stop you and just say this. Let me help you. I think here's the dividing line. God didn't continue to let him do it. The Bible says God chastises those that he loves. If you love your children, by the, it's probably going to get me in trouble again. It did years ago. I made this statement probably the first couple of months I prayed. Bless God, you, if you, you love your children, amen, you'll correct them. If you love your children, you'll bring them to church. If you don't bring your church, kids to church, you don't love them. Well, I had a lady, she got just furious, and I went to visit her. <laughs> it was amazing. She said, did you say that? I said, yes, ma'am, I did. She said, Arnold, did you hear me done it again? <laughs> Just never forget that. By the way, I still believe that. If you don't correct your children, you don't love them. Well, I, I had a daddy, he loved me a lot, amen. Loved, loved Eddie, but loved Robert more than he loved any other. He corrected us all the time. But, say, me say, but if you can habitually, and I think this is the defining line here. If you can habitually sin and live there and it not convict you and bother you, then there's something. You need, you need to check up. You need to check up. I, I've, I've been saved many years and there's one constant and that is this. That when I'm wrong... God doesn't have a bit of problem letting me know it. I mean, He'll, he'll convict, he'll, he'll take my sleep. I mean, he, he don't let me enjoy nothing about God. And, and I'm telling you, if you can habitually 
sin. I don't care what the sin is. Then there's something wrong there. And, uh, and so many times. So I see the consequences of doubt, the cause of doubt, but here's the cure of doubt. Again, Fanny Crosby in that blessed song, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Our salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. First John 5, 13. John didn't wrote it in five chapters to get you and I here. Here's this. He said, I want you to know that you know. And he tells us two truths. It's really simple. Number one, faith in God's provision. Now, where does your faith lie? What's your faith in? If you're dependent on you to get you to heaven, you're in trouble. If you're dependent on good works to get you to heaven, you're in trouble. If you're dependent on mom and daddy's salvation to get you to heaven, you're in trouble. No kid goes to heaven on mom and daddy's coattail. If you're dependent on your intellect, why are you trusting in? We've done a lot of visiting down through the years. Well, we, we go up here to the Methodist church. Say, ma'am, I, I know that, but if you die right now, you know. We go to the Methodist church. We go to the Methodist church and never get them to move. And they're trusting being a Methodist church member. God help them. Some are trusting baptism. Let me say this. Baptism is an outward sign of what God has done in the heart. It is the first step of obedience. Water washes no sins away. The blood of Jesus washes our sins away. So, understand, baptism won't get you to heaven. Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone? Jesus is God's provision for salvation. And there's no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Uh, dear lady, asked me the other day about Jehovah's Witnesses. The main thing that's wrong with your Jehovah's Witnesses, your Mormons, and all the other cults is this. They take Jesus Christ out of the picture as being a redeemer and the sinless, the sinless Son of God. They take that provision out of salvation. And apart from that, apart from that, there's no salvation. So it comes in His provision. Are you depending on Jesus to get you to heaven? Someone said, well, I'm pretty good. I met a lot of people. I'm religious. I'm a good person. I help my neighbor. I do this. I do this. I do this. I do. Hell's going to be full of good and moral people. Hell's going to be full of good and moral people that help their neighbors. Done any, they help fed, that fed the, the hungry, clothed the naked. Hell's going to be filled with them. You know why? Because none of that pays the sin debt. 
if you can get this, you'll understand this. It's, it's, it's not very difficult. In the Old Testament, when Adam sinned, God said, I told you it's going to die. Jesus walked into the garden, an innocent animal died in their place. And blood was shed. Don't miss this. He made an atonement. Atonement was judgment would be extended for one year. That's all the atonement did. It extended out the judgment. And every year, the father would take a lamb or turtle dove or a ram or, 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 or some or one or, or, or ox or some animal and a lamb or a turtle dove and take it, cut its throat, and take it into the Holy of Holies. High priest would take it into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle the blood. Atonement was made for one year. But they never come out shouting because all it did was judgment was moved up one year. But when John saw Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, and the greatest thing said that day, that taketh away the sins of mankind. Behold the Lamb of God. The first time, the first time they'd ever heard sins will be taken away was when John said, Behold, the Lamb of God take away the sins of the world. That's the first time they'd ever heard that statement. And so Jesus becomes that one. Faith in God's provision. Number two, faith in God's promise. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3, 36. Let me read it to you again. He that believeth on the Son hath life, everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abideth on him. Let's just say, Preacher, I don't feel saved. I didn't ask you how you felt. I asked you, have you accepted and trusted Jesus as your Savior? Preacher, I don't remember the day. I didn't ask you if you remember the day. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Preacher, I, I didn't have an experience like so-and-so. I didn't shout, jump cues. I didn't do none of that. I ain't going to ask you. Ask you, have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? I love this. Someone said, well, preacher, if I could just get a sign that I'm saved. Well, He has given you a sign. It's the Word of God. Let's say an angel comes down, Gabriel, says, Pastor Jay, I want to talk to you. It's okay. 
Gabe, what's, what you want to talk about? Well, I was walking by the throne room the other day and Lamb's Book of Life, and I stopped and looked at it, and your name is there. I thought I'd just come down and let you know that it is. I'd say, you know, Gabriel, praise God, thank you for doing so, but you didn't have to come all the way down here to tell me that. I already knew that my name is in the book of life. I already knew that I was saved. And you didn't have to come down. Someone said, for feelings come and feelings go. And feelings are deceiving. My warning is the word of God, nothing else is worth believing. Though all my soul shall feel condemned for a want of such some sweet token, there is one great in my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll stand on his unchanging word till soul and body sever. For though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. We've got to put our faith in God's provision and praise God in God's promise. And by the way, if that promise is not true, we're all doomed. Amen. I know that I know. Praise His holy name. Here's the question. Do you know? Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, and every eye closed.